Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Welcome to Tell Me Everything. What a day. Another one. I feel like all of August has been like that. I actually saw a really funny tweet from Marcy Wheeler, who writes Empty Wheel, the other day where she said, August has been like every day we got some really great development from Democrats and Biden, and every day we get some unbelievable, yet believable, development from Trump. It's been like an advent calendar. <laughs> and I'm paraphrasing, but it has been like that. This week, of course, we saw the Biden administration take a bold move on student debt. We had Melissa Byrne on the other night to talk about that. And, of course, Republicans went crazy. But, you know, I feel like they've been shut down. And they should be. And so many people, millions and millions of people are going to benefit from that. And that's what Democrats are showing. Democrats and Joe Biden, a very fired up Joe Biden, is showing Democrats what they can do, why they have to do it. He's leading. He's been a, become a very big leader for us. It's what we wanted, and we're getting it. And, you know, last night I played some clips from his speech in Maryland, and he was just on fire. It was terrific to see him all fired up. And he called Republicans semi-fascist, which they are. I mean, I would have gone full fascist because I think they're they're full fascist. Um, But he called them semi-fascist. And of course, many in the media had the vapors about that because they're more worried that Joe Biden said Republicans are semi-fascist than the fact that Republicans are acting like fascists from Trump on down, down to Florida, where Ron DeSantis is just an authoritarian little dictator, removed four school board members from the Broward County School Board today and replaced them with his hacks. That's what a fascist does. So Biden was asked about this today. He was getting on the chopper. He had a few good lines. But this one, this one to me, Biden talking when he was asked by a reporter. And these White House press corps reporters are just so ridiculous. They're absurd. They all, I mean, it's so maddening to watch them. They have that access to the president of the United States. And if you've ever watched the press conferences, they'll all ask the same question. And it's so amazing. 
it, it, I find it infuriating. But I just want to play a clip when Biden was asked about that semi-fascist remark today. What do you mean by semi-fascism, sir? So in you know what I mean. Mr. President, Angola... What do you mean by semi-fascism, sir? So in you... you know what I mean. You know what I mean. What do you mean by semi-fascism, sir? You know what I mean. Yeah, they do know what he means. Now, the problem is, again, they're more interested in the fact that Biden said it than why he said it, why he had to say it about the Republican Party. But when you want to talk about a Republican Party that's out of control, they have lined up in lockstep, as we all know, behind Donald Trump, absolutely in lockstep behind Donald Trump. And we got the redacted affidavit that was used by FBI agents, what they presented to the judge, Judge Reinhardt, the federal magistrate down in Florida, to be able to search Mar-a-Lago, Donald Trump's home, this past month. The Republicans have been in a frenzy about this. Oh, it's so awful. Well, what did we see in the affidavit? Now, a lot of it was redacted. You know, the FBI and the Department of Justice made it clear to the judge that the lives of their agents are in danger because of Donald Trump and his minions and his MAGA extremists. Like, that's fascism, reporters. Reporters who were asking Joe Biden about what semi-fascism means. It means that the other guys, thugs, are attacking law enforcement because they're investigating crimes of their authoritarian dictator leader. That's, that's a good sign of fascism. Anyways, the document was released. <laughs> I mean, they reported why they needed to was when they got the 15 boxes that had been kept at Mar-a-Lago that the FBI finally got to look at in May, they found 184. And this is what it actually says. 184 unique documents bearing classification markings, including 67 documents marked as confidential, 92 documents marked as secret, and 25 documents marked as top secret. Further, the FBI agents observed markings reflecting the following compartments dissemination controls. HCS, which means Human Intel Control System, FISA, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, ORCON, Originator Control, No Foreign, not released to foreign nationals, SI, Signals Intelligence, and the FBI agent who wrote the document said, based on my training and experience, I know the documents classified at these levels typically contain NDI, National Defense Info. Several of the documents also contained what appears to be F. POTUS's handwritten notes. That was one of the things about the document. It referred to Trump as F. POTUS. And a lot of people had a lot of fun with that today. Of course, it means former president. There is also probable cause to believe that evidence of obstruction will be found at the premises. The premises being Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, you know. And they mentioned the laws that were invoked, including the Espionage Act. Probable cause exists to believe the evidence, contraband, fruits of crime, or other items illegally possessed in violation will be found at the premises. 
That's why they had to go into Mar-a-Lago. They couldn't get these documents back. And you realize just how hard the National Archives and the FBI and the Department of Justice worked to get those documents. There was a letter included from one of Trump's lawyers who never in the letter, by the way, said that Trump had declassified everything. Isn't that funny how that happens? That this guy, Kash Patel, who's a Trump lackey, who is dangerous, he's out there, you know. Oh, no, he declassified everything like he did it with a magic wand, sort of. No, that's not what happened at all. Not what happened at all. So, yeah, we got the affidavit. Remember, the Republicans all wanted it. A lot of it was redacted. And, of course, you're seeing, um, oh, uh, all kinds of Republicans want, well, why why does it have to be, uh, why is so much of this uh, have to be blocked out? Why, you know, why are the redactions? Yeah, well, because you're, first of all, there's a lot of witness information in there. And again, second of all, anyone whose name is included is going to be facing the wrath of Trump's out-of-control supporters. So, yeah, that's why it's redacted. It's amazing we saw as much as we did. And, you know, I have to tell you, I read through it. I'm a lawyer, (laughs) technically. I really am a lawyer. But when things like this happen, I do look to, you know, I've never been a prosecutor. I want to hear what prosecutors think. There was a lot of commentary. And a lot of people were quite shocked, even though we had a good idea what was in the document. A lot of people were quite shocked. I want to play a clip. Um, Andrew Weissman, who worked at the Department of Justice, worked on the Mueller report, was on MSNBC. And I think he put it as clear as almost anyone I heard all day. So let me play the clip of Andrew Weissman today on MSNBC. When I read this today, my big overarching takeaway is, and I know this is just a prediction and speculation, but I'd say it's an educated one, is that the former president is going to be prosecuted. Um, I, I don't see how you cannot, given this information, not just that it's so clear that there is an active, thorough investigation and just how much was done here, but when you compare it to precedent, we compare it to uh, General Petraeus, which happened when I was at the bureau, and I think Frank was at, may have been at the bureau as well. Um, it is this what we are seeing is so much worse, both in terms of uh, the volume, the length of time, uh, and then the um, sort of repeated obstruction uh, and false statements that were made. I don't see if you're somebody like Merrick Garland, who is a former judge who thinks about precedent, about treating like defendants equally. I don't see how you avoid that conclusion in this case. And and I want to understand, I I need to follow up. uh, For all the conversations we've had with you, I don't know that I've heard you utter that sentence, Andrew Weissman. Yeah, I... Wanted to, Nicole Wallace at the end there. Uh, I've never heard you utter that statement. It is quite a statement, right? He believes the former president is going to be prosecuted. And let's keep in mind, this prosecution will be for keeping the documents, the refusing to turn them over, violations of the Espionage Act, obstruction of justice. That isn't even related to the January 6th investigation that's underway, where we know a grand jury has been seated, 
And we're, we know the congressional hearings will pick up again in September in just a couple of weeks. So, you know, this is Donald Trump being possibly prosecuted for these crimes, while some other crimes are being investigated by the DOJ related to January 6th, while some other crimes are being investigated down in Fulton County, Georgia, by Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, and while some other crimes are being investigated in New York State by Attorney General Letitia James. And this is the leader of the Republican Party right now. This is their one true leader. This is the guy who they believe in. This is the guy who they are following. This is the guy that they want to be president again. It's jaw-dropping. It's stunning. It's I'm almost speechless, and I'm never speechless. You've heard me. I'm never speechless. These are just insane times. But, you know, you guys, Joe Biden called Republicans semi-fascist, so the media the media has been really stressed about that. Some reporters and some other pundit types have been stressed about that. One pundit who, one reporter, writer, who wasn't stressed is Dana Milbank at the Washington Post, who's actually been really terrific of late, calling out what it is. His title today was, Biden just used the F word, and he's correct. He's absolutely correct. And it's about time. We have to call it what it is, because you can't defeat it if you don't call it what it is. Let's take a break here on Tell Me Everything. I'll be back in just a few minutes. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Edu slash podcast. So this has been one hell of a week on so many fronts. So much happened this week. And joining us to help unpack it is someone I always enjoy talking to, Jordan Sakarin. Jordan, welcome back to Tell me everything. Hey, Joe, how's it going? You know, it's going okay. Jordan, of course, is a reporter and producer for More Perfect Union. He also writes Progress Report and is right in the thick. I feel like you're so perfectly situated between the politics of what's (laughs) happening, but also the big news that's happening always on the labor front. And let's start with labor news because this was a big week. And you and your colleagues covered it quite extensively. 
But it really was a week that Starbucks got blasted by the National Labor <laughs> Relations Board. Tell us what happened. Well, you know, so National Labor Board, uh, they, they recommended uh, basically, you know, they've got their own sort of judicial process, uh, you know, and they recommended essentially to, uh, they, they gave allegations and recommended prosecuting, I should say, like an indictment for uh, national violation of uh, labor rights. Basically, what's been happening is that, and they've been doing this nonstop, they, Starbucks has been violating rights from the very beginning, and there's like 300-something violations that have been filed by the um by Starbucks Workers United, I think the, exa- the exact number now is, let's see, it's uh, 26, NLRB has issued 26 complaints that include 97 charges and 634 alleged violations. Um, hundreds of them are still being investigated. They just nonstop, they just fire people, they uh, send people, uh, yeah, they cut their hours, they threaten them. It's it's a, it's a pretty, it's a big bloodbath there. Basically, 235 plus stores have unionized. But what happened this week is that one of the big things Starbucks has been doing is just not, they gave, Big raises, or you know, some uh, you know, raises and benefit increases to a lot of workers. When Howard Schultz came back, he promised them. He said, "All right, starting in August, we're going to give lots of, uh, you know, benefit increases, raises, what have you, because you know, we're we're we got to treat people better. We got to we got to do better for them." We, he did this whole listening session where he would uh, go and talk to people uh, at different stores, and they'd have these kind of secretive meetings with workers who get selected. Um, every once in a while, a union member or a union supporter would get selected and push back, but Essentially, he they, they announced these raises for people, and they went to effect I think August first. But he said the company said, "Oh, we just can't we can't give them to workers who are at the stores that are unionized or in the process of doing so. It just would uh, go against the laboratory conditions of the NLRB demands, which means there can't really be any changes during an election or before you bargain." Um, that's not true. For uh, we reported from the moment he announced that no, that is not the case, and uh, the union always said, "Look, we will." Um, waive our right to argue and to or to negotiate over these rights uh, over these pay raises and um starbucks refused to do it of course they have no uh, desire to negotiate with anyone at all or to um you know provide any raises or anything like that for unionized workers she also wants to burn to the ground and so after months and months and months the nlrb uh collected evidence and did their interviews and said yep this guy these people are violating labor law and they recommended uh, these different, you know, they recommended these different remedies, and it will be going to uh, court in October. And long story, uh, I know. <laughs> it, 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 one of the things I <laughs> got a big kick out of in the, you know, it, it, it's it it matters. NLRB, you need to have the right people at NLRB running at National Labor Relations Board. This wouldn't be happening if there was a Republican president. Republicans controlled it. That's really important. But um, one of the things they required is back payments and benefits to the unionized workers, but also requiring Howard Schultz, who, as everyone remembers, was going to run for president as this great independent and save the country, yada, yada, yada. Uh, He has to read a statement to workers about their union (laughs) rights. I love that. It's it would be it would look like a hostage video if it ever actually happens. It would be the sort of thing that he would probably grind his teeth into nubs while saying um, that he was wrong and he violated rights. It's funny. Usually they, uh, you know, make a manager or someone or, you know, if, if, even if it's a big company, the manager has to read it uh, at different locations. But they would make Howard Schultz deal it because they know that he is the one behind this great big uh, union busting. I, I think there was a sense that maybe there would be a, some sort of breakthrough before he came in and uh, very quickly 
you know, he fired or had uh, Kevin Johnson, quote unquote, retire. Kevin Johnson, the former CEO. Howard Schultz has 100 percent been driving this animosity toward the unions, this burn it down uh, mentality. They have closed, I think, 16, like 19 stores and more than half of them were unionized stores, which puts a lot of work, union workers out of uh, out of jobs. Basically, they can do some bargaining to try and mitigate that. But a lot of people losing their jobs. He's firing people. Two people were fired today that were union leaders, one in Buffalo, one in Connecticut. It's it's really brutal, and it's you know this is not new. This is not the sort of thing that no one expects to some degree. But what it really shows is what one egomaniacal billionaire can do to thousands of people. I mean, there are like seven thousand, or between five and seven thousand Starbucks workers who are joined unions. There are many more who would, you know, would join if let's say they weren't having the benefits hung over their heads because they need the pay raise. You know, many more who would like to join but are afraid that oh my store is going to get shut down and I'm going to lose my job. And so the number of people who would like to join Starbucks Union, you can't count it, but it's clearly, you know, they win most of their elections for a reason. And uh, they have like an 85 percent win rate. And so it shows like how much one billionaire who feels like I'm entitled to these people's time. I need to be the, you know, uh, the paternal figure, how much he can drive, not just a company stock, right? Not just like earnings. Who cares about that? But drive people's lives and dictate. How many kids, and these are, a lot of them are kids, a lot of them are like tw- young 20s, which to me now sadly is a kid, um, how many are going to just no longer be able to you know, afford rent, afford school, people launching GoFundMe's nonstop, and it's just because of one guy, um, you know, he could settle. He could say, you know what, we'll work something out. Uh, they're not asking for, you know, they're not asking for a million bucks each in these contract negotiations, I can tell you that, but it's, you know, Howard Schultz is the, is the guy behind this, and uh, as often people always tweet at us or tweet at me saying, you know, remember when Hillary Clinton was going to make him labor secretary, which you know, was obviously not confirmed, but it's, it goes to show you how people's true colors come out. Yeah. What, what, what a dick, but you know, and even, even his whole campaign for president, we kind of saw it. Um, and it, being questioned, he just did not want to be questioned. And there were a lot of consultants, uh, Jordan, who jumped on that bandwagon thinking it was going to be a big money train. I hope they're I hope, I hope they're happy with themselves and proud of themselves that they've helped create this monster. Uh, but there was another big labor action this week out in Columbus, Ohio. And I know um, more perfect union head John Russell from the holler out there. You were uh, you releasing some of his videos. I love John Russell. Yeah. Um, from Great. Ohio. Talk about that, um, what happened out in Ohio. Yeah, it's one of those things where teachers, you know, in 2018, teachers went on strike and it was like a, it was a big deal, right? The the Red for Ed movement. And it, um, you know, it, it was very popular and people, you know, teachers got raises in states where they don't usually have strong unions. Uh, in Ohio, they do have strong unions, teachers unions, one of the, you know, uh, the legacy of that. And is the biggest school district in Ohio, the Columbus uh, School District. And went on strike. I think they just settled after three days of being out on strike at the beginning of the school year and got much better contracts. And, you know, it, it's interesting is how, like, the, much the community supports them, how much they, you know, they're, they're supported by that. And we saw, you know, Tim Ryan jump on it and say, you know, I support the teachers and J.D. Vance saying, you know, I don't. Um, but, uh, you know, it's I think what's interesting with that is the backdrop is of the battle over public education. At, you know, we're seeing, like, you know, keep teachers in Ohio were certainly aggrieved and quitting over uh, the really crazy, just a different, like, you know, laws of passing out CRT. This is the state where they wanted the both sides of the Holocaust. And so I think that teachers have grievances that are not just paid, even though that is also one of them. 
Yeah, that, and it, it was just great. It was great. I, I, you know, it was great to see the community support, and that is something that existed around the country. And look, you know, we have seen the attack on teachers and public education. One of the leading proponents of it is, of course, um, Ron DeSantis, who today mm-hmm. just fired four members of the Broward County School Board and replaced them with his hacks, and he's just been one of the worst. Um, but we can talk about that yeah. later. But I wanted to um, just, uh, <laughs> just because there has been some. Other- DeSantis, you, wind me up, and I will go relentlessly. It's uh, I. He is a man that must be. I, I don't know whether to fear or mock him or both. But yeah, we can we can we can do a special show on him because I am happy to unleash on him. <laughs> well, you know what? I was just going to say we could talk about some other labor auctions, but you know what? Let's unleash on Ron DeSantis because usually <laughs> what happens is. Bill in Orlando or one of our other callers from Florida will call and get me wound up. So let's get you wound up, Jordan Zakarin. I mean, <laughs> you have covered Florida extensively at um, at your newsletter, Progress Report. And um, it is like, and, and you've written, I mean, when you go to the website right now, progressreport.substack.com, who's looking at me but Ron DeSantis. Um, it's Top really- of himself. Right. And, you know, like teachers in Florida banned from giving kids Band-Aids. That was the piece you wrote the other day. Um, talk about let's let's talk about Ron DeSantis because he is a major threat. Um, Dan Frumkin, who uh, writes Press Watch, um, who uh, is another one of my favorites, um, today did a piece that was titled Coverage of Ron DeSantis Shows the Media Has Learned Nothing from Trump. And he's basically mm-hmm. like, you know, call him what he is. And the media is not going to do it, but we have to. So go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so you mentioned it. Let's start with the piece that I wrote. Yeah, it's I, I was curious because I've been hearing about different, you know, you'll see it on whether it's social media or just teachers talking online, the different like requirements and sheets are supposed to, you know, look here. How do we evaluate our library books? How do we, you know, how do we talk about this? How do we talk about that? Can we have, pictures of our families on our desk, all those things. So I spoke with a couple of teachers in uh, in Florida. One was in the um, Orlando area. One was in the St. Petersburg slash um, uh, Tampa area. And, you know, it's the stuff that, A, everyone's burnt out because these laws are purposely vague, whether it's the quote-unquote parental rights, whether it is the, uh, you know, which is the, the don't say gay law or whether it's, uh, you know, the CRT or the Stop Woke Act and all these stupid names. They're all big and they all just kind of make people uneasy and unable to do what they uh, you know, want to use teachers. And you mentioned the Band-Aid thing. It was, there's now, you know, due to the COVID thing, due to this idea that, you know, kids are being, I don't know, filled with uh, toxins inside their, uh, you know, inside of their shots, inside of the booster shots, inside of their, uh, you know, when you are, I think it was the COVID vaccine. They now not only tried to ban that ban like any sort of thing like that you can't get any health care in a school in florida in a public school unless a parent specifically opts into allowing it like signs a form online and it goes in the database and so a teacher was telling me that yeah the thing is teachers don't know whether parents signed it or not and they're not allowed to look at it that's how much i said is a teacher so this one teacher was telling me that she had a girl in her class she's a first grade teacher and she's actually in like a pretty well-off school district, but she spent like 10, 11 years working at a s- districts and schools that were not so well-off. Uh, she, this girl started coughing and normally she'd be like, hey, why don't you go down to the nurse? No problem. She couldn't do that. 
because she didn't know whether this girl's parents had signed this waiver. She calls the school nurse. Lo and behold, the school nurse is overwhelmed, right? So many teachers don't know. So the school nurse is running around. Can I get care? Can I not get care? Hours and hours and hours tick by. This woman can't send the girl to the nurse, but she can't, like, send her home. And so she had the girl, like, kids have phones in school now, text her mom uh, about it. And the mom didn't respond because mom's at work. And, you know, all day she's sitting in class. This is, we're still in the COVID times. You know, there's no like mask mandates now at schools. Uh, she's coughing away. And she said to me, you can't even give a kid a bandaid at this point. And literally if, if they're bleeding, uh, you can't give a bandaid unless you know that you're allowed to do so. She's like, I, I now just have band-aids on my desk and people can go get up them, get them themselves. And hopefully that's okay. Hopefully that's acceptable. But you can't go and give them unless you specifically know. And it's one of those things where, you know, DeSantis is doing this. I think he is, you know, wants to be, you know, wants to be, he clearly wants to be president. So he's doing these things. You know, most people would say, oh, there's unintended consequences, but I think he is just this cruel. And, you know, he knows that that's going to happen or like they tell him, hey, this is what the consequence is going to be. I don't think he cares. He wants to go in his flight suits and act. And this guy's like a joke. He wears like giant suits and wears flight suits and, um, you know, he's a giant dork. But he's a scary, scary person because of the mendacity he has. And we, we heard today also that you know, the 20 people he had arrested for voting, you know, in, in 2020. They all knew. They all were told that it was okay for them to vote. You know, the registrar, whoever told them that it was okay in their local counties. And he arrested them anyways. Not only that, he had SWAT teams parachute into their homes and take them out, like, in the middle of the night. And that is, you know, we, uh, in America, we don't believe that, oh, it could be so bad here as it is other places. But you hear about that, let's say, in, like, a South American country or a Middle Eastern country, or even, you know, somewhere like uh, Russian or one of those old the Federation countries. You're like, wow, that is dictator behavior. But, uh, you know, Dan Frumkin, I've been saying it forever, he just treated like a presidential contender. You know, it's uh, that, that it just flattens out he's a presidential contender and not like a madman. It's exactly what's happening. And you've already seen a lot of reporters do their beat sweeteners. And uh, beat sweeteners are where reporters, believing someone is going to be a presidential contender, do their articles that are kind of like puff pieces on them so they can gain their access. Yeah. And, and they're still kind of in that mindset. And it's absurd because... You know, like Dan said, he's a fascist and he 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 it is an authoritarian government down there. If you are uh, a queer person in Florida, you feel very aggrieved and under attack. And he's doing you know, he's trying to undermine public education. Clearly, he doesn't want people educated. His Stop Woke Act was blocked by a judge. But, you know, the problem with the judge, the courts in Florida is you know, especially the federal courts, there's a lot of Trump appointees and you're in the 11th mm-hmm. circuit, which is a fifth circuit wannabe. And the fifth circuit's the worst, most conservative circuit um, at the appeals level. But the 11th circuit is trying to get up there, which is also why, just as an aside, Dick Durbin needs to get his ass in gear and get more judges appointed as soon as possible, because this is out of control. It's just madness. But, you know, um, they had elections in Florida this week. We know we know who the um, gubernatorial candidate, Charlie Crist. And, you know, the one thing I'm hoping is Charlie Crist has run against, has been a Republican. He knows the games they play. And I hope he is con- prepared to be absolutely ruthless. And one of the things we do know is he picked his running mate today. And his running mate is actually a teacher. 
Mm-hmm. She's from the uh, teachers union in Miami-Dade. And that seems like that, you know, there was some talk earlier this week that he was going to pick maybe Gwen Graham, who'd run for Congress. But instead, he picked the union teachers union president, Carla Hernandez Motz. Um, and it sounds like that's going to add some real energy to his campaign. We'll see. Yeah, I think that it makes the battle lines clear, right? You know, oftentimes, and I was reading stories that some of the status' policies about whether it's CRT or whatever, like he'd been able to convince the majority of people that, oh, it's good that we're going after groomers. But, you know, this was at the end of the school year. Things hadn't gone into effect. I think we're going to see a big change. I think we're going to see, like, uh, folks, parents being like, it's only a kid that's education. And, like, I don't care who is, you know, like, the, who, my te- who the teacher dates. You know, I think it's going to be, like, they're seeing books being banned and burned. And, you know, frankly, like, DeSantis also has you know hillsdale college he's had the hillsdale Hillsdale college folks doing just different curriculum for florida school and those they are a freak show of right-wing lunatics over there Uh, hillsdale college is like for-profit college and so it you know i think that what he's doing is going to come home to roost but i think even more so and we're working on a story about this from working for union so i guess it's like an an exclusive for your listeners if that matters but um we're working on a story about just the the scandal over florida power and light just the huge numbers of people that are getting just gouged because there's this political corruption just unbelievably swampy there literally it's a swamp i guess but it is something that you know people are not happy their housing prices are through the roof um you know it, home insurers keep leaving property insurance uh, companies keep leaving because of the climate change is what it's doing to the state um it is not a good shape as much as he wants to crow about the free state of florida and you know whether it, the question is whether that stuff materially matters as much, you know can overpower DeSantis is just like nonstop fascist message. But you know the danger of running for president while your presidential nomination while you're running for re-election in a general election in a in a state is that you may tip too much to the you know if you're running for president running in a very partisan way you may alienate the people who need who you need to vote for you to get reelected because if he doesn't win re-election this fall then he's not running for president. Yeah. Yeah. And look, if he Florida's got a, a very strict abortion ban, you know, he'd like to do more. He's trying to avoid the issue, but he's not going to be yeah. able to. Marco Rubio had to admit yesterday that he doesn't support um, exceptions for rape and incest. And uh, DeSantis is going to try and dodge around it, but he's not going to get away with it. People are paying too close of attention. You know, look, another thing. There was that turning point conference a couple of weeks ago where there were literal Nazis dancing around yep. the SWAT sticker in front of DeSantis signs. He never disavowed them. If you get women, yeah. the Jewish vote, the LGBTQ vote, the black vote, and, you know, a lot of the Latino vote, because he's certainly been very harsh on immigrants and his lieutenant governor just basically attacked Cuban uh, asylum seekers. You know, you've got a coalition that could win. And the other thing, you know, Florida power and light, I, I think... Everything you need to know about Florida and how much Republicans cheat is really encapsulated in Florida Power and Light. They're the ones that funded the sham candidates back in mm-hmm. 2020 in Senate races. They did the same thing we're finding out in a race for um, Miami-Dade County executive. They're just corrupt as fuck. It's unbelievable. And, you know... I hope Democrats are awakened to it. You know, you've written about it early on, um, talking to Anas Kamani, the state rep from Orlando, who is amazing, about how, you know, the state party was moribund. I'm hoping under Manny Diaz it's been reinvigorated. 
And some of the ancillary or other organizations are picking up some of the slack, too, because, you know, it, to me, Jordan, the fact that Republicans have to cheat so much to win in Florida tells me they're not that confident about their standing in the state. Yeah, if Florida Power Light is a really interesting scandal. I mean, it's gone back decade plus, actually, since Charlie Chris was governor. He was a tough on the energy regulators, uh, energy companies with, with regulation. And uh, they basically went to, to as the kid called super cyan mode, just trying to uh, eliminate any sort of any sort of obstacle to just being able to gouge people. And, you know, to this point now, they basically own the government and they owe they, they like you said, ghost candidate scandal, which basically was creating fake candidates so that uh, dummy candidates so that uh, their candidates and Republicans would win sort of um, uh, really close elections. But, you know, you mentioned the Nazi thing, and that's actually another thing I'm working on. We are working on a on a um, a site that is called, and maybe I shouldn't say this out loud because it gets away the joke. But it's you know, it, it's we're, we're working on uh, a site that really points out all the times Ron DeSantis has uh, not disavowed Nazis because stunning amounts, stunning amount of time. This past this past January, uh, his press secretary Christina Pusha, who for some reason decided to block me on Twitter. I never tweeted with her before, but. Uh, Maybe she saw me tweet about him. I don't know, but uh, they they cast doubt on the Nazis that were supporting Ron DeSantis, flying his flag, marching around with them, and say, "Oh, they're not real Nazis. It's a false flag operation." And they eventually took that back, but it's been happening over and over again. They, there were swastikas drawn on Walt Disney World, and during the middle of DeSantis's whole groomer Disney's or groomers fights, um, didn't say a word about it. There are people, like you said, people marching around Turning Point USA's conference with the Santis signs, like actual Nazis doing sig hails in jackboots. Uh, marching around saluting Ron DeSantis and he doesn't say a word. Even Charlie Kirk, Charlie Kirk, who has the as integrity as small as his eyes, um, like he disavowed Nazis and Ron DeSantis refused to. And I think that's the sort of thing that you know, if you can't disavow Nazis, you're you're endorsing them. There's a reason you don't disavow right. them. Absolutely right. Well, you guys have a lot coming up. Um, you got a lot coming up, Jordan Zakarin. Okay, so you've you're gonna have a piece on Nazis. You're gonna have a piece on. Um... Nazis and DeSantis. What else? What's uh, what else is on your horizon? What are you keeping an eye <laughs> out in the states or some of the candidates you've talked to? I mean, I um, I'm always interested because you talk to a lot of great people. What what are some of the things that have excited you in a good way over the past few days, and what and, and can keep us motivated for moving forward for the next ten weeks? Well, you know, you see, Arizona, I think, is going to be a huge battleground just because a it is a battleground state. B the Republicans there are running our absolutely out of their minds. I mean, Blake Master is trying to pretend he doesn't support, um, you know, total bans on abortions and probably enslavement of women. It was pretty funny today. Uh, Carrie Lake is just the sort of person that should be, um, you know, she, she, she's someone that should be like, she used to be on TV. She's someone that should be like on infomercials hawking like bad diet products. That's the level of like integrity she has. She's trying to run, uh, she's trying to be governor there. And there are, you know, good candidates for Democrats there. There are also some good state legislative candidates that are going to get a boost because they nominated some of the craziest people for state legislature. Uh, also, just now, they, I think a few days ago, Secretary of State there, uh, not Secretary of State, the Supreme Court validated three big ballot initiatives in Arizona that would create, uh, you know, that would create much more fair uh, rules in terms of uh, political spending. And it would, uh, what do you call it, in terms of voting rights, um, there was a bunch of other ballot initiatives there that would be really good for democracy. And I think that that's the sort of thing that you know, we need to uh, really focus on, right? Ballot initiatives, because those bring cross people over. Those are the sort of thing that allow uh, democracy to eventually flourish. You see Michigan, when they pass their fair districts, 
in 2018, now all of a sudden, look, they've got a decent map. You know? And so those are the sort of things that, I guess, Ohio notwithstanding, because they could just continue to cheat anyways, um, you know, in a state where it could either go to like a bunch of QAnon lunatics who hang out with people in the desert that are guarding the wall, like cosplaying, you know, uh, cosplaying their former glory days as soldiers uh, guarding the, the border. Or it could go to like, you know, moderately progressive people who are smart and want kids to learn and also like deal with the water crisis there. So, so the uh, you know Arizona, I think, is going to be a really big deal because this the swing that could happen is just unprecedented. Yeah, I did. A, I did a, um, a, a state of the states. I talked to uh, Taylor Kirby and uh, State Senator Christine Marston last night. We had on the show Jevin Hodge, who's running for Congress in Arizona's oh, cool. first district. He was just terrific. Just like he just really inspired me. It was it just. A lot of energy, and he's running against a really corrupt David Schweikert who voted to uh, overturn the election. So, yeah, I agree. Arizona's really exciting. Jordan Zakarin, always, it always goes so fast when I talk to you, and I, I <laughs> talk to you all night. And um, we will keep DMing. Jordan and I DM a lot because we, sh- we share a lot of the same views in case you can't uh, tell, and we, we, disdain, <laughs> we disdain a lot of the same people, too. We have disdain for the same people. I think people. that's important to have that mutual <laughs> hatred, I think, is uh, when you hate someone, uh, you know, you, when you hate the same person, I think it shows that you guys have, you have a lot in common. Right. And we have a long list there. Uh, Jordan Zakarin <laughs> on Twitter at More Perfect US for More Perfect Union and subscribe to Progress Report. You can find it in Jordan's um, Twitter bio. It's a great it's a great publication. And uh, I subscribe and I'm happy I do. It's always great to talk to you, Jordan. Have a good weekend and I'll uh, talk to you soon. You too, Jeff. Thanks. This is Joe Sedberg. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get on the phones because I want to talk to some of you folks. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Okay. I really like talking to Jordan Zakarin. And when I was talking to him, I mentioned that Bill in Orlando always gets me riled up about Ron DeSantis. And Bill in Orlando is holding right now. Bill, <laughs> how are you doing? Joe, Joe, my friend, it's good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. What's going on? Well, everything's going on. I got a couple of tips. I loved your last guest. I think I follow on Twitter, but unfortunately I'm suspended. Here's a couple of things on Governor uh, Death Sentence. First thing is, as Congressman Death Sentence in, in 2017 out of Jacksonville, he voted for the uh, Trump tax heist. Remember that. And, and the second thing, what was the second thing? There was a couple, there was a couple other things. I'd have to get back with him. I was thinking with, with 
but uh, I was thinking of Val Demings. I want to talk. We're going to talk about Florida. Val. Oh, the other thing was Joe Greenberg. He's going to be spilling his guts in December, and I bet, along with Matt Gates, that somehow this my, my reluctant governor is 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 in with them. And I think some information is going to come out. It should have come out this month, but they were going to sentence him. They pushed it up. They you know passed the election. Unfortunately, what do you think? Well, uh, you know, I think we're all waiting to see um, what happens in that case. So, you know, they were It's a it's a clicky little club down there. Those Republicans in Texas, in Texas, in Florida, they you know, they were up there in Tallahassee. They all know each other. They all went to the same party. So, yeah, I I think it's going to be interesting to see. My second point was Val Demings. She needs the upper ante, and there, I, you know, seeing him off Twitter and, and social media, I've been watching a lot of local TV here, and they, they, she needs the upper ante and, and attack Rubio on abortion. I mean, because they are attacking her viciously, and her commercials are three weeks old, Joe. They're before the, they're from before the election. She needs to update them, and, and really, like today, if somebody out there with her campaign's listening, do it. She has money. I contributed enough money to her, believe me, monthly. So. I love that. So he yeah, needs to update. I, yeah. What do you and think? I, I mentioned, um, you know, there, Rubio got himself a lot of attention um, these uh, just these past few days. Um, he was doing an interview and he basically admitted that he does not support abortion rights in any way, yeah. shape or form. Uh, he was yeah. on CBS Miami. Uh, you know, he won't support legislation that would exempt, you know, rape and incest. Um, and that that's gotten a lot of attention. And I think one of the things that happened, you know, um, I know you're not on Twitter, but she does hit him hard on Twitter. Uh, Val Demings yeah. does. And I'm hoping that, you know, her TV ads will start reflecting that. Of course, I haven't seen too many of them because I'm not down there. But um, yeah. and if I were her, I'd go after him on this issue in a big way, in a very big way, because she needs a big turnout. She needs women turned out to turn out. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm and I, I think that, you know, the top of the ticket there between, um, you know, the, the gov, uh uh, Charlie Crist, Charlie Crist yeah. with, you know, with his new running mate, who does seem yeah. just terrific. Um, yeah. And then for lieutenant governor. And then, you know, we got some of these great candidates running for Congress. Maxwell Frost won the primary and Annette Tadeo. Yeah. I think I think Annette's going to give Salazar a great rundown in um, South Florida. Annette is not playing. She's playing. She's not she's not she's playing yeah. hardball. Um, she's not letting Salazar get away with anything. So, you know, and then Val Demings. I think it's a pretty powerful uh, group of candidates running. And we've got some great state ledge candidates, as you know, um, uh, Anna and Carlos Smith and um, Una Cortez out in uh, out on the West Coast and uh, Michelle yeah. Rainer, just so many of them. Um, and, and they all seem fired up, too, Bill. So I'm hoping yeah. I'm hoping for a lot from all of you from all of yeah, you in Florida. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. One, You've got one, to save us from Ron DeSantis, please. I know. We're going to try. We're going to try. Joe. Right. Yeah, Monday morning, 830 is the Artemis launch. If you're near TV, you're going to want to see this. I live on the Space Coast here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you get a chance to see this, really, it's going to be history. It's a, it's a $4.1 billion rocket to go off. It's That's going to be $90 cool. billion dollars over 20 years. Watch oh, it's it. Cool. It's so cool. We'll it's watch for it. Um, 
I gotta, we're at the top of the hour. We'll get back on the phones after the news. This is Tell Me Everything here on Sirius XM Progress. After the news, we'll be on the phones and talking to you soon. I am really excited right now to be talking to really an amazing writer, someone who has covered Washington, covered the White House, Congress, politics, and now is a columnist at the L.A. Times. Welcome to Tell Me Everything, Jackie Combs. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Joe? It's so good to be reunited with you, even if only by telephone. Right. We had we, you know, Back when I worked on the gun violence prevention issue, you were at the Wall Street Journal. We spoke quite often because mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a lot to talk about then. And I have to say, I was so excited when I saw that you were a columnist at the L.A. Times and that we get to talk again. Um, first, let me just get your general impressions of the past few weeks. I mean, I want to get into some of your columns, but like, I mean, you've covered D.C. for a long time. The, the juxtaposition of the Democrats delivering and Republicans, you know, just following Trump and the news we got today. W- w- just what are your thoughts on that and w- put it into context for us? Well, look, my thoughts are that, you know, this is the kind of these past weeks we've had are the kind of thing that keeps you humble in politics, because all year long we've all been um, anticipating a red wave in November And the only question was how big a wave it would be and how many Republicans it would, um, you know, sweep into office undeservedly, I might say. And and I had written a column earlier in the year that was about how, you know, this red wave was ahead, regardless, given the the climate, the political climate, Joe Biden's low polls and the um, gerrymandering of House districts. And just the, you know, inflation, just the general midterm jinx that always, uh, except for two times in our last century, have um, gone against the party in power, which, of course, is now the Democrats. And now, you know, I would not I would not predict here that that, that there will not be a red wave. I at this election were held tomorrow. There would not be a red wave. But I still think Republicans got to be favored certainly to take the house and maybe the senate but it's the good thing is these last few weeks have made it more of a contest it's a combination of the things democrats have finally been able to do by you know in in the inflation reduction act and the chips act for um just initiating a whole new uh generation of computer semiconductor production um, the the veterans bill for those who were exposed to toxins over time. Um, and then the combination what Democrats have done and then what the, Demo- the Republicans have done to themselves in terms of their extremist abortion positions that even I couldn't have predicted once Roe versus Wade was overturned. Their continued election denying, apologizing for Trump even in the face of an FBI search of his place that, as we've seen today, confirmed that he got hundreds of pages or took, stole, actually, from the government, hundreds of pages of top secret documents. I mean, he thinks he is the state. He is the king. This was his property. He took it. He stole it. 
Anyway, all those things have come together to make the midterms more of a contest. And I actually think, you know, there's a good chance, not a great chance, that the Democrats could hold the Senate. People are even saying they might hold the House. I'm not going to go that far. But as I've written, I the most important thing is to hold the Senate, if only because the Senate is the body that confirms federal judges. And we need to keep a break because as a country, we need to break and and partly reverse, at least, to the best Biden and Democrats can, the right-wing tilt of the current court, the court system, the federal judiciary. Right, right. Yeah. And, and it has changed dramatically over the past few weeks. And it has been interesting to watch kind of that um, prognosticator crowd, the Cook Report and 538 uh, going from red wave to uh, maybe not. And even Dave yeah. Wasserman, yeah. who covers the House, was said, you know, it's not out of the question that Democrats can hold it. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. And, and one of the issues, as you stated, it's it's it is the Republican extremism. It's Democrats delivering. But the abortion issue um just really has changed the, the landscape in ways that, that, like, no one could have predicted. Um, I don't think uh, the the depths of, to which Republicans would stick right. with it and go to even further lengths. Um, and that's that's something, Jackie. That you know, you've covered DC for quite a while, and yeah. it really has been interesting because Republicans have said for a long time. They were going to overturn Roe. They were going to appoint judges, justices who were going to overturn Roe v. Wade. And it's almost like, be careful what you wanted, Republicans, because you got it. And I, I actually feel like my sense, and I'm interested in your take, um, my sense is that there were a lot of Democratic consultants and Democratic politicians who didn't think it was going to be a big deal. And they were... Yeah certainly conveying that to reporters and pundits. And a lot of the pundit class wasn't worried. And, and if they weren't worried, Republicans weren't worried. And I think they were all caught off guard. I think a lot of like official D.C., let's just put that in, you know, quotes, was really caught off guard by the um, by the intensity of the reaction to Roe. Yeah. Well, if I could just say um, one thing about that is I with no offense to all my many male friends in politics and and journalism, but I think that sort of conventional wisdom that the uh, overturning of Roe would not have the impact that it has clearly had reflects the fact that there are so many men in journalism and politics in the pundit class. And I never doubted that there would be a big reaction I was just frustrated, not just this year, but in past years, that people were so complacent that it was it's been clear to me since 2017 when Trump won office and uh, Merrick Garland had been prevented from going on to the Supreme Court, that the Supreme Court was going to uh, have a a anti-abortion, anti-Roe majority by the time Trump left his first term. Um, but, you know, I had to tell myself, people don't live and breathe this stuff the way I do. And and frankly, you know, it's, you think there was good reason people could never imagine that Roe would be completely overturned. And in the Dobbs case this June, the, the court went farther than they had to in the Mississippi case. They took the extremists. They went farther than they had to to decide that case and went all the way to overturn. And it is not surprising to me at all that women have reacted as they have. And there's and and I think it's 
also reflects not just the overturning of Roe, but the fact that um, you're right, Republicans, they they likewise really never guessed they'd be so successful. Um, but what I couldn't I couldn't predict is that in the wake of the Dobbs case overturning Roe versus Wade, that Republicans in the states and Congress would take such an extreme position that you see now so many of them wanting to pass state and federal laws that don't even that ban abortion without even providing exceptions for rape, incest, and the life of the mother. Um, that had been, you know, sort of their accepted, what they would call, you know, middle ground concessions. But now they're so full of themselves at their at their success that and the so beholden to the far right of the party. Well, the far right is the party, frankly. Right. That they're they're taking these extreme positions, which is just continuing to stoke the um, anger of so many women and men who think that abortion rights, what, no matter what they think of abortion, they don't think the government should be telling women you have to stay pregnant and give birth. And um, so, you know, I think um, it was predictable and I and I certainly think it will last until through the election and women and and men too. I mean, I hate, it just drives me crazy to keep talking about this as, as if women are the only ones who care. We have to get out the message as a mayor, you know, that um, this is a matter of freedom and men have a stake in this too. I, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, um, women, women, I, I, I last night, um, President Biden gave a speech in Maryland and it was like Joe Biden. I was like, who was that guy? He was great. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he and he specifically mentioned, you know, Republicans don't realize what they've done to with women, but they're going to find out. And, mm -hmm. um, and, they, and they look, we saw it in Kansas. I mean, a couple of weeks ago and um, I, I did an interview yesterday that's going to play over the weekend um, with uh, a woman from uh, Planned Parenthood from Kentucky and they take they have a vote coming up in Kentucky that will um, it's protect Kentucky access is the campaign. And she said the it's unbelievable what they are seeing in in Kentucky in terms of um, just that the the intensity, the interest. It's they've never seen anything like it in the state. Um, and it, it's just like it, and that was really inspiring to me. Tamara Weeder from um, the campaign joined me. Um, and, and, you know, like we're talking Kentucky, which, of course, they right. have a Democratic governor, but um, it, it's going to be interesting to see. And there was some great polling today from Michigan and California on the ballot measures, very strong support to protect abortion rights. So abortion is literally on the ballot and our democracy is on the ballot, Jackie. Absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, I know <laughs> I I. Like I said, and I'm not kidding. I, I'm so excited that you're writing at the um, at the L.A. Times. But you had a, you had a terrific column today. <laughs> well, all your columns are terrific. But um, what's really fascinating on the Republican side to me, we saw today a report that the Republicans are pulling money out of Arizona because they need it in Ohio and their candidates are not raising low dollar donors they're counting on the big billionaires to save them but one of the reasons they're not getting the low dollar 
money is because it's going to Donald Trump. You yes. wrote about that today. Talk about that because it's really fascinating. Well, a long time ago, it's probably been a couple, I, I um, signed, well, certainly after the election I, I and before I signed up to get emails from Donald Trump's um, world. And, and, and after the election, just a couple days after the election, nearly two years ago, he started this Save America Pact, as he call, calls it. And he, um, so he, I get emails, literally 12 to 15 a day. And they come in just after midnight and they come in just before all, it's a 24 hour thing. And there's, they're, they come in like every couple hours or every hour on the hour. And it's just a constant grift of having, asking me for money. So what I led with in this week's column was the fact that he has, he emails me, you know, and he makes them sound very personal. Like he'll even say your eyes only or do not share. And he told me uh, every day this week that he was naming me Patriot of the month. And um, he's constantly does this, but they keep coming in as if it's the first time he's ever told me. And it, you, it, it requires no public service on my part. It only requires a donation to him, as you can imagine. And so, as I write, that's patriotism, Trump style, and and it's and it would be funny. And the, for the longest time, I thought about writing about it, and then I didn't. And I thought I'm doing just what everyone else is doing. I'm just normalizing it. I'm just accepting the unprecedented fact that a former president is milking average Americans from their savings based on lies like that he's won the election or that the FBI broke into his house. And so I thought it's time to write about this. He has raised over $120 million and together with other um, funds that he's raised, it's approaching $200 million. And he hasn't even been out of office for two years. And so I said, you know, there's two. The, what really galls me is that the Republicans don't even speak up against this. And these are their constituents that he is, you know, um, grifting. And if they don't they don't care about that to the extent they speak amongst themselves at all, what they complain about is the fact that he's not sharing the wealth. So, like you said, he's vacuuming up all these small dollar donors money. And he tells the donors that he's trying, they're helping him elect a Republican Congress, and yet he gives virtually none of the money to candidates for Congress. He's, as one Republican I quote in my column said, he's hoarding it. Now, well, the interesting thing is people are trying to answer the question, do, um, is Trump going to announce for president before the midterms? And, and Somebody said to me today, a Democrat said, how are Republicans able to keep him or discipline him or get him not to uh, announce for president before the midterms? And first of all, I think that Trump is so much front and center these days that it doesn't matter whether he announces for president or not. The whole country thinks he's probably running. And even if he's not, he is front and center. He is he has put himself on the ballot, in effect, I think he is on the ballot almost as much as Joe Biden is in this midterm election. Um, but the uh, it, it's just the the fact that 
he is taking this money at a time when their own Senate committee, their Senate Republican campaign committee, is is taking money out of three states that where they were going to run TV ads because they they're so low on funds. And as you said today, the you know news that there's Republicans are taking some money out of Arizona to put it in Ohio. This is all he doesn't care about the party. He just cares about himself. And I thought it was time to pay attention to that. And and why should we care if the Republic, even if the Republicans don't care? Because these I don't I mean, I mean, well, I certainly I don't agree with Trump supporters in the whole MAGA world, but I, they're still my fellow citizens. And I resent that they have been literally um, talked into buying lies from him and parting with their meager savings for this supposed billionaire um, who, you know, thinks he is, he is, you know, what's good for him is good for the country. So. And it's only good for him. And it's only good for It was for my him. rant. Yeah. Yeah. That's all it, about it was, him. It is all about him. And it, one of the reasons that the NRS, the National Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee, doesn't have money and, and they have to take money out is because the candidates aren't raising money. J.D. Vance isn't raising money, Blake Masters. They rely on the big, big donors and the super PACs, but they're not getting the small donors because Trump is like a vacuum cleaner. Um, right. There's a there's a race you wrote about last week that I think uh, I think there's a couple of sleeper Senate races. Um, I think Mike Franken in Iowa is certainly one running against Grassley. He's running a really smart Iowa campaign, a campaign for Iowa. And the other one is in North Carolina. Uh, Sherry Beasley, you wrote about that last week. Talk a little bit about that, because I, I, I think I agree with you on this one, too. Oh, okay. well, thank you. I mean, you know, there's a lot of Democrats who have sort of written off North Carolina where it's an open seat because Republican Senator Richard Burr is retiring. And um, uh, the Republican candidate is a House member, Ted Budd, who is a member of the Freedom Caucus. He's endorsed by Donald Trump. He's an election denier, uh, extremist on abortion rights. Um, and Sherry Beasley is the former Chief Justice of North Carolina Supreme Court. She's an African-American woman. If she won, she'd be the only um, black woman in the Senate, unless, of course, um, uh, Val Demings can beat uh, Rubio in Florida. Um, so, but uh, Sherry Beasley, I she wasn't really on my radar. And then someone from North Carolina Talk to me about it. And this is another one goes back to what we started talking about initially, which is the the things that have gone Democrats way this summer. And unfortunately, one of those things is the uh, overturning of Roe versus Wade has really played to Sherry Beasley's advantage in North Carolina, has really galvanized um, Democratic voters. You know, the Democratic voters, all the polls showed they were so demoralized up until as late as May. Uh, all you know, all you heard about was the red wave coming. They were they didn't weren't happy with Biden themselves. It was inflation was high, all these things. And now there's there's a bit more enthusiasm and it's contagious. And then as there are these results in certain states where it shows like, well, the election in Kansas and then the um, uh, some of these uh, primaries, the, the turnout in Democratic primaries and those special elections where Democrats did better or even won uh, where they weren't expected to. 
All of this has contributed to looking, taking a second look at races like Sherry Beasley's in North Carolina. And so I think you're right. I think there are some sleeper races there and uh, and hers is one of them. It's not, I never until this summer would have really thought Sherry Beasley had a chance in, in, this, ele- in this midterm election year where the headwinds were going against Democrats. But I, de- I definitely, I mean, it's still, you know, She's still, I would think, a slight underdog, but not by much. And a lot could change between now and November, but a lot could change that in her direction as well. Yeah, I agree. And um, she's a terrific candidate. She lost in 2020 by 400 votes. So she's yeah. run statewide before. She knows how to run statewide and win. She, and, you know, the state has a Democratic governor. It's purplish state, you know, Republicans yeah. Do well there, but I think you know if there's enthusiasm and if you know you can capitalize on the good things Democrats have done and point out the extremism of the GOP, it, it certainly puts more races on the on the uh, uh, you know in play. There's you another know, and thing I, and I, wanted, I could add about Sherry Beasley. She's working sure. very hard, which is good. She's a quality candidate, and she's going not just to the cities in North Carolina where Democrats are stronger. She's going to the rural areas too. And that is something I think is very important. Oh, I agree, because I I saw the NBC News report the other day that she spends as much time in rural areas and rural areas in North Carolina are very diverse. And the better Democrats do in those rural areas to close margins really matters. And I I think that's exciting. She's running. She and, you know, that's what you learn from having lost by 400 votes. You know where to go get the votes. Right, right. Jackie, you published a book last year. I just got it this week, finally, and I started reading it. (laughs) It's terrific. It's called, and I just tweeted, I put the link uh, for Bookshop in, Dissent, the Radicalization of the Republican Party and its Capture of the Court. And I've started reading it, and I'm like, this book feels like the like the political soundtrack of my life, except for I was on the other side. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead, because I I just talk about it because it's really interesting. Well, um, I I had just I was before I was a columnist, I was the White House editor. I had um, thought I was leaving daily journalism when I was at The New York Times and left at the end of 2016 when Trump came in. And I, I was enticed to come back by the L.A. Times to be a White House editor. So I was a White House editor. Uh, and watching the Kavanaugh hearings back in September of 2018, never thinking I was about to write a book. I, w- I did want to write a book, but it wasn't about Kavanaugh. And and so right before he got confirmed, um, my I have, had an agent and an editor who had been talking to me for some time about writing something. And, and they, they came to me the week he was go- about to be confirmed and asked if I would write a book about Kavanaugh and his confirmation fight. And I thought about it and I and I knew there'd be other people writing books about it. And I said to them, let me do it. The story of Kavanaugh's rise from, you know, teenage years up to the Supreme Court. It's like a 40 year period that's the same the against a backdrop of the past 40 years evolution in the Republican Party. And it also happens to be the 40 years starting in Texas and then moving to Washington soon after, where I was covering politics and government. So I was able to incorporate his story and tell 
the things I had witnessed firsthand from from Reagan through the Gingrich era, through Tea Party to Trump. And and it is a sign of how things have how extreme the Republicans have gotten when we first um, when I first started the book in October of 2018. The subhead was something like the the um, transformation of the Republican Party, or uh, I, I forget, because I was too I wasn't ready to say the radicalization of the party, but I hadn't been working on it very long when it seemed like to say anything other than radicalization was ridiculous. So um, it was so again, it's like two books in one. It tells the story of Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, and how he's sort of this petri dish white Republican man who's just sort of the cutout of what Republicans want in a federal judge in terms of being anti-government, um, anti-administrative state, uh, anti-regulation is how I should put it, anti- and certainly anti-abortion. Um, and so, and, and, and to tell, you know, he was like a, you know, both Senators Durbin and Chuck Schumer have said this, and it's so true that he's like a Zelig like character or Forrest Gump, where he was he's been present or had a role in so many key chapters of the Republican story. You know, having worked for four years for Ken Starr and trying to impeach Bill Clinton, then joining the you know, he was involved as a in low level, but in the Bush versus Gore Supreme Court uh case that um, made George W. Bush president. Then in the, he worked in the George Bush White House. He worked on, you know, judicial confirmation fights. Uh, and then he himself was nominated to a federal court bench. There was a three-year fight in the Senate over him because Democrats knew or thought he was such a partisan hack, in part because of his activities during the Ken Starr uh, years, that um it took three years to get him confirmed. And once he was on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, it was clear he was going to be a Supreme Court nominee when a Republican was president. And sure enough, he was. And um, so it's um, the the book is, uh, you know, like you said, it's a year old, came out a year ago at, that last summer. But it's still timely because I took it, us through the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett, which created the uh, right-wing supermajority on the court, and it's um, it anticipated got through the Senate acquittal of Donald Trump after the insurrection, and predicted um, that even with Trump out of the White House, that the Republican Party would continue to um, take an extremist view because in in effect the base is in control of the party. Trump harnessed the base, but the so-called Republican establishment is not in control. They're just cowed and complacent. And it's if it weren't if Trump's not here, if Trump were to, you know, drop dead tomorrow, somebody else would take the reins. And um and if they didn't, the base would, you know, force them to. It's really it's fascinating, and just the the uh, you know I'm I'm just a I'm just a couple of chapters in, and the interrelationship. I wasn't even aware of how intertwined um, John Roberts was with Brett Kavanaugh and Brett Kavanaugh's father, and you just realize just how how he and and the other thing is is how Brett Kavanaugh you know he's 
hooked up with the Federalist Society early. And now, you know, this past week, we saw that Leonard Leo from the Federalist Society got $1.6 billion. It's really, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, it is the foundation and it has been, you know, you've seen the, um, the it has been a radicalization of the party. Yeah. You know, I've worked on the gun issue. I worked on LGBTQ issues. I worked on immigration. So I always saw this kind of radical element and yeah. um, and it was often considered, you know, to- kind of the extreme part of the party. But now, I mean, now someone like Steve King, who was a white nationalist yes. in Congress, he he just be like a regular moderate member now. And a couple of years ago, he was the outer limits. It really Absolutely. it just shows. Right. I mean, absolutely. I mean, Steve King, who people a lot of people don't even remember anymore. And, you know, what a sort of um, xenophobic, racist, uh, white nationalist he was from Iowa. Now, you know, he's he's literally to the left, if you could say that, of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Madison Cawthorn. And it's just you know, these people who are front and center at Republican leadership press conferences, they're not being censored. They're being, you know, showcased. And it's just it really is um, sad. I, I mean, that's the other aside from judicial nominations, the, the good reason at, for our democracy to at least have Democrats hold the Senate to be a check. If the Republicans are going to take the House, there would be a check on them, both from Biden, of course, and and the Senate. But, you know, it's it's scary times. And I don't you know, I don't say any of this. I I hate to sound so anti-Republican because I'm not. I spent 75 percent of my, you know, four decades covering politics, sort of covering it where, you know, it was it was two parties and I was just the observer and recorder of the first draft of history. And it doesn't I hate that the, we have a two-party system in which one party is, is anti-democratic, authoritarian, and extremist. Um, and I want the Republican Party to become a healthy party again. And I think the only way that's going to happen is if they suffer big losses, which is yet another reason to hope that they are greatly disappointed in November. Because the only reason, only way they're going to reform themselves is is if if they lose, I, I agree with that. I think they have to lose big time and um, and, and see if it re- can recreate. But l- let me just ask you one last thing before I let you go. Um, you know, because this party is so extreme, is the media, the, the kind of the, you know, the reporters in D.C. who cover the White House, who cover Congress, who cover politics, you know, how did and it feels like a lot of the coverage has continued along the same trajectory as it was, you know, writing the first draft of history. But how do you change as reporters? How do you deal with this now when one party is absolutely anti-democratic? And, and that kind of when I, when I use the term both sides, it, it that doesn't work anymore. How does that play out? Yeah, well, that is such a good question. And it's such a good question to raise in these times. Um I'm fortunate in that for a year now I've been writing a column, so I can call it like I see it yeah. um, uh, on informed as I've been by my experiences in my career. But for, you know, four decades, I was a reporter I, and I um, it was very it became very hard. Uh, and I wrote a column. Um, I don't know. It might have been last year or 
late last year. Anyway, it was what what we call both sidesism, where I was lamenting the fact that in despite the the way our politics has become so um, broad, that journalists were too many journalists were still covering it as if on the one hand, on the other hand, that you know Republicans have have done this, but you know Democrats do it too. When that isn't true anymore, and frankly, I first started chafing about this sort of both sidesism back in the mid 90s when I was a reporter covering Congress for the Wall Street Journal and um, Newt Gingrich had and the Republicans had taken power in the House and their style and um, uh, tactics were such that, you know, they were sort of unprecedented. It was the initiate. It was sort of the start of, of moving towards Trump. Gingrich was Trump before Trump. And people forget now just what a big deal. You remember what a big deal he was. I mean, he was time man of the year. You can't take from him the fact that he, uh, as as obnoxious as I thought his campaign and his tactics were, that it won control of the House for Republicans for the first time in 40 years. For the first time, what was then the first time in my lifetime. And um, so, but there... um, it was it was like so much 100 percent just full time campaign and nasty. It's like, you know, his slogan, literally Gingrich's slogan was be nasty. So against yeah. that backdrop, I was chafed that the editors at The Wall Street Journal and not just The Wall Street Journal it was true as well when I later would go to The New York Times um, and other reporters would continue to cover politics and literally sometimes if the story was sort of had a negative bent uh, towards Republicans, there would be a paragraph in there somewhere or up high that would say something about, yes, but, you know, Democrats have been known to do this, too. And it, it was to the point where it's like, especially recently, where we can see, no, Democrats don't do this. There is a difference between the parties and their tactics. And um, and now, you know, finally, it got, to, it got so bad that Republicans are now saying it. And you see Democrats complain about how their party are a bunch of wimps and they don't fight hard enough and and all of that. But it's just all I'm saying, I guess what I'm saying is the de- getting to your question is that it has gotten to the point where their tactics in so much of the Republican Party at the state level, the local level, on these when we've seen in these voting laws election laws and and the administration of elections that it is anti-democratic and this is something that we have to recognize it is the real threat white nationalism is a real threat and white nationalists have taken prominent roles in the republican party i mean the republican state chairman in wyoming is a what's i forget which of the militias that proud boy so it's <sighs> these things, the jur- reporters, I think they've gotten better, Joe. I think like the fact that we've seen we called Trump or others for lies. That's I didn't important. use the, I, I've been a journalist since 1978. I never used the word lie in covering politics until Jackie, I, 2018. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I could talk to you all night, but I got to take a break. We're almost okay. at the top of the <laughs> hour. But we, get, we have to have another conversation. We've got to do this again because this is fascinating and I know our listeners are loving it. So thank you for joining us tonight on um, T 
Tell Me Everything. Jackie Combs on Twitter, columnist for the LA Times. Buy the book, Dissent, The Radicalization of the Republican Party and its Capture of the Court. Thank you so much, Jackie. Thank you, Joe.